We're in our Pillars series. We're in week three of our Pillars series. And we've been looking, if, you're, if you don't know what that is, we've been looking at people, we do this, it's like the third year in a row, where we take four weeks and we look at different characters from the Bible and from church history that have greatly affected how we understand Christianity, how we live Christianity out, and, um, and how there are people that really act as like the foundations or the pillars upon which we understand Christianity. So we look at Old Testament figures, ancient church figures, New Testament figure, and a more recent church figure. And so today we're going to be the New Testament figure. We're going to look at somebody. And today we're going to look at a person. Like every time, like when we preach, we, we pray and we try to seek God and say what would be something that's really helpful for our church. Because sermons, understand this, sermons are never for entertainment. I hope they're enjoyable, but not for entertainment. Therefore, and I'll, I'll quote a, some of you would say is not a great philosopher. Who knows who the band Pink Floyd was? <laughs> Does anybody not know who Pink Floyd was? How young are you? Okay. And in one of their songs, they said, so, so I won't sing it for you, but kind of. Just another brick in the wall. You know that song I'm talking about? Right? Who knows the song? That's what, that's what Sunday morning church is. And if you could sing it better, you can come up here and help me. But the sermons are bricks in a wall. We are building a house, a spiritual house in our lives. And they're all designed, we're very intentional by the Holy Spirit's leading, I believe, to, to try to bring information and inspiration and life change. So we're building this wall of our lives, another brick, another brick, another brick, another brick. So never seeking to try to knock a home run out of the park. That's not the goal. The goal is just another brick in the wall, just another brick in the wall. And Mary serves as a great brick in the wall from the New Testament. That's what we're going to look at today. Mary, the mother of Jesus. And there's a lot of times we think Mary, we get two Marys confused. We think of Mary that had seven demons cast out of her, that there's more written about her in relationship to Jesus a lot of times. And we get him confused what Mary, but I want to look at Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we're going to do this for a very specific reason. Because let's remember um, that the people we've been looking at we're trying to learn something from. We're trying to say, what did that life do to affect how I live out and understand my, my Christian life? How can I look at how they followed Jesus well? And how can I say, that? how can that affect me? As we, as we look at, you know, we can look at all these different New Testament characters, Peter and Paul and Luke and John and, and all of them, they all contributed a lot. But Mary, the brick in the wall, that I want us to, to look at. The reason I want to look at her today, because I think she offers us something that maybe the other ones don't as clearly. And it's this. Mary reveals the right heart. Mary reveals a heart and a priority of life, her character, that we don't know a ton about her, but her character speaks to us. Her heart, her passion speaks to us. And that's what I want us to get from Mary today to see what it is about Mary that led God to choose her. Have you ever think about that question? Why in the world did God choose Mary to be the mother of Jesus? Why did the angel Gabriel, it's recorded in Luke chapter 1, say this to Mary? There's many one of those, maybe those baffling things a person's ever heard. You have found favor with God. Why would, the, why would God send Gabriel to go to Mary of, the, of all the millions of people there could be and say to Mary, you have found favor 
with God. What an amazing thing to be told. And I believe that the reason he did that was because of Mary's character. And why do I think it's because of her character? That that is the reason why God selected her to be called the favored one that he used then to bring forth Jesus, who is our Savior and our Lord. And the reason I believe it was for her character is simply for this reason. She hadn't accomplished anything. She hadn't done anything. Here's this young girl. Think about who Mary is. And this is freak some of you out if you realize the reality of Mary is that she was probably 12 to 15 years old. Think about that. 12 to 15 years old. Think of your daughters and your granddaughters. She was marrying age in the ancient Near East. 12 to 15 years old. She's from a poor family in a totally obscure place. And she simply had not done anything in her life yet, could not have done anything great or wonderful that somehow could have earned God's favor. And sometimes we think that's the way God works, that God, we do something and God's like happy with us. And I guess he's pleased when we follow him, but, but this is not at all what it is here. She it was just young, poor girl who's a child, basically, She hadn't preached great sermons. She hadn't raised large sums of money to help the homeless. She hadn't hadn't had theological contributions to the synagogue. Nothing. Because she's just a little girl. She was just a young Jewish girl, like every other young Jewish girl. But there was something different about her. Her heart, her character. And we get a glimpse into this from her life as we look at the Gospels. And we discover someone of incredible character, someone that I think we should admire and we should emulate, means we should be like, and I think we can build our lives in part upon the example that she, she gives us. But before we look at some of those things, I think today we have to have a little word of warning here when we talk about any human character in the Bible. We need to have a word of warning when it comes to talking about Mary, because I said we should admire her, we should emulate her, but it did not say we should worship her or we should pray to her or that we should elevate her into a position that is higher than any other human being in Scripture. You see, some throughout church history have done this, some to great levels, extremes. In in Latin America, in some areas, if you ask them to define the Trinity, they say God the Father, God the Son, and Mary. And that's how they understand, not the Holy Spirit. So some, historically, the church in some places has got this wrong. And in some places, they've elevated Mary to a position of a go-between between people and Jesus. But Scripture never promotes this. And because Scripture doesn't promote that, and some people have done it, you know what's happened in much of the church world? in much of the Protestant church world, we've ignored Mary. We've not looked at her as an example. Where some have taken a position of of literally elevating her and worshiping and thinking of somebody to pray to, and the Bible never says that, and Mary, based on her character in Scripture, would never have wanted that. As a reactionary response, what a lot of the church world has done is we just ignore Mary altogether, and we ignore her altogether, we miss some very important things. There's a brick in the wall that's missing in our development. So I want us to understand Mary. So we understand that Mary is someone to be greatly admired and emulated, but never to be worshipped or never to be prayed to. 
And what we're going to look at when we look at Mary today as a pillar, again, somebody want to say, how can I learn from this person? And how can I, how can I say, how can my life be better from what I see in this person? Um, is that um, we want to see some characteristics from her life. And so we look at three characteristics this morning from the life of Mary that I think are, that show her character and that can be great examples for us, okay? So the first characteristic we want to point out about Mary today is I want us to notice her willingness to surrender her plans to God's plan. Think about Mary's situation before Jesus was born, before she was pregnant. She's a young Jewish girl engaged to be married to Joseph. And you know that church history, what they, a lot of people believe about Joseph? That jo- Joseph was actually a widower who was probably much older than her. Kind of messes up your little cr- cr- Christmas nativity scenes. He was maybe quite older, and that's what they think because that's why he died early, because early on in Jesus' life, we don't see Joseph around anymore. Um, so here's this young Jewish girl, whether Joseph is old or young, she's been betrothed, given in marriage, to another person who's engaged in his intermediate step, which acted, though, as marriage. She was in that covenant with Joseph. And we'd imagine that she had similar dreams to every, like every other young Jewish girl of that time, that she wanted a nice husband. Because remember, she didn't get to choose. It was chosen for you. She, she's hoping for a nice husband, for a nice home. She wants to be surrounded by family, because that's very Jewish customary, all living together. She wants a lot of children. She probably wants to be on the whatever young Jewish PTA at the school or whatever, you know. That's her dream. She's got the dream is, you know, put in her plans. This is her plan for her life. What girl doesn't, what girl or boy doesn't have a plan? They're dreaming of this. This is what's going to happen. But then she has an encounter with Gabriel. Grab your Bibles with me or power up your phones. Look at me at the, the Gospel of Luke. Look at Luke chapter 1 with me today. Look what happens when she encounters Gabriel. We'll start in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she is very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he'll be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, how? How can this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now with her in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond servant of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Look at that last sentence. Behold. 
the bond servant or bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. I think those are some of the most amazing words in all of Scripture. And they reveal to us so much about the character of Mary. She had her own plans. We said it. Wife, mother, grandmother. None of her plans included giving birth to the Messiah, getting impregnated by the Holy Spirit, however that worked, divine immaculate conception, having this divine pregnancy that was going to cause her all kinds of conflict, probably gonna, she thought at that point, probably lose her, her, her husband. But there was something about her character that she knew God's plan, and I believe this, she knew God's plan would be better. She had her own plans. But she knew that God's plan, because she knew who God was, that God's plan would be better than her plan. I did not say she believed her God's plan would be easier. It was not. I did not say that even God's plan would make her happier because I don't know in human happiness standards that it did. Really, it did not. But rather, she understood that God's plan would be better. So she says yes to God's plan. Now, I believe something about this. And I can't prove it with Scripture, but I believe it. I believe this. I believe Mary could have said no. I believe she could have told the angel, well, you see, I have my own future plans all laid out for me right now. Mother by 15, because she's probably 13. Mother by 15, grandma by 35. Nice house, husband with a good job, hanging out with the kiddos by the pool on a Sunday afternoon. I don't know. I believe that she had the opportunity to say, that's my plan, and that's not my plan. This is my plan. What you're saying, angel, is not my plan. No thanks. Find another person. I really believe she could have said no. And I believe that if she would have said no, God in his foresight would have gone and chosen some other young Jewish girl. And they were all named Mary, so her name might have been Mary also. (laughs) But he would have chosen somebody else, and, and that would be the Mary. You see, God invites us to join him in what he is doing. He doesn't force us to join him in what he's accomplishing. And so we need to think about this. What is God inviting you into? What is God as a church inviting Portview into? What is God's plan? We have our plans. What is God's plan for all of it? What is God doing around you? What is God doing around us that he wants us to be part of? That, that a week ago or a month ago, we never even thought about. Right now, there's a good example. It's funneling resources into Ukraine. None of us, I never, one day in my thoughts, said, you know, as a pastor, one of the things I'm going to do one day is I'm going to funnel a bunch of money into the Ukraine. Never crossed my mind one time. But when things happen, you listen to the voice of the Lord and you, you follow what God is bringing around you. What's that, what's that require? It requires changing some stuff. You were going this way, now you're going that way. That's, that's how we do it. And my thought is today, my question, because remember, we're trying to learn from Mary, right? Another brick in the wall. My question is, are we like Mary? Are we willing to say yes to God's plan, whatever God's plan is? Or do we have our plans so plotted out that not even God himself could get us to change direction?
Now, I'm not opposed to people saying you need your strategic plan, your one-year plan, your five-year, ten-year plan, but I'd say this. The book of James says something a whole lot different. It says it's sin to say, I'm going to do this and this and make money and do that and do that. He says, no, you say this, if the Lord wills, I'll do this or that. I think it's a really important question to ask ourselves. It's a foundational pillar that we see revealed in the life of Mary that we need to build our lives upon. Not having all our plans fixed so much that we can't be changed in direction by God. Mary gives us this great example from a great character that says, you know what? I might have ideas what's going to happen, but I'm going to be responsive to the voice of the Lord. We learn that from Mary in this, don't we? Amen? Amen. Just think what it takes to do this, though. It takes this. Trust. It takes trust. Trust in God as your Father, your Heavenly Father, your good Father, your Abba, who you know wants the best for you. Where you know that He's always wants what's good and great for you. Not easiest. Not easiest. Not even what the world says is, is in their eyes, the best. But God's got a plan for us, for you, for me, that might not be the easiest, but it's always the best. And he wants to invite us into a walk with him where if we will trust him, I believe this, he will amaze us. I believe that's what he wants to do. I think he wants to amaze us and go, I can't believe God's doing that through me, through us. He will allow us to be part of things, I believe, that are greater than anything we could ever have dreamed up on our own, eternal things, world-changing things, life-changing things, people-changing things. Things that give us purpose in life. You know what, friends? You know what I know? You can have everything in this world says is important, and you don't have the gumption to get out of bed in the morning because it means nothing. But when God gives us a purpose and we, we join with his plan, we can jump out of bed in the morning. It hurts a little more as you get older, right? But uh, you still kind of, you, you, you kind of jump out of bed in the morning because you're doing something that's worthwhile. Mary reveals to us that as we trust God, walking in his plan, that his plan is the best. She had the honor of raising the Son of God, who although he was killed, he rose from the dead and deliver and is still delivering people from the chains of sin for all of eternity. Friends, I would say that's just a bit better than the plan she had of being the head of a young Jewish PTA or whatever it was that she was probably hoping to accomplish. So we see in Mary a willingness to follow God's plan wherever that leads, knowing that God's plan is always good and best. Amen? Amen. Let's think of another character quality that we see revealed in Mary. And this one may surprise you, but I believe it's, I believe the Lord, honestly, and I'll, I'll say that, I felt compelled to bring this up. And I've never used this before talking about Mary. It's this, that she prioritized the spiritual formation of her children. That she prioritized the spiritual formation of her children. This goes down to her core values, her character. This may be something that you never thought of before. In Luke chapter 2, we get a glimpse into this. Mary and Joseph and Jesus 
who Jesus was 12 at this time of the story that, that Luke 2 records, and his siblings, and Scripture says elsewhere that in Mark chapter 6, that there was at least six children that they had, at least six. They all go to Jerusalem for the annual Passover celebration as good Jewish people did. And while on their way home, they went to the celebration, and they're coming home in a caravan of family members and probably friends, and they discover that Jesus is missing. Who would have tanned his hide? Really? Just stay with your cousins. You know? He's gone. He's 12, and he's gone. So they got to leave the caravan, go on their own, which is dangerous because now they're going to travel home alone without a caravan. It's going to be dangerous. And they go back and they return to Jerusalem and they find him in the temple, look for days because they can't figure out where he is. And they, they go to the place that he says, well, shouldn't this have been the first place you looked? Um, and they find him in a talk, in the temple talking with the other religious leaders. And it says this. It says, all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Now, obviously you could say this. Well, Jesus was Jesus. Of course they were amazed. He's the son of God. He's divine. Immaculate conception, remember that, Pastor Mark? Yes, he was divine. But scripture reveals he was totally, also totally, fully human. It's the mystery. You're never going to grasp it. I can't. I had a friend in college who wrote a paper one time, a secular college. He wrote about this. And he said, uh, 100% man, 100% God. And the professor scratched it out with a red pen and said, let's try 50-50. He said, no. It's a mystery. We don't get it. But the Bible reveals him. He's God and he's man. And because he's man, and Scripture reveals this to be true about Jesus, it talks about how he learned. That he learned through, through discipline, the Bible says. That he learned just like everybody else. That Jesus had to, had to learn carpentry because his father was a carpenter. His father had to show him how to do it. To learn to be able to give these answers, someone had to teach him. And he had learned so well that the religious experts were amazed by his answers as a 12-year-old. The question is this, how did that happen? How come they were, a bunch of religious guys, were amazed at Jesus' answers when he was 12? And I'll tell you the answer. Yes, he's God, but he's learning as a human. It's because of this. Because of a mother and a father that prioritized the spiritual development of their children. That's why it happened. Because, and a lot of times, dads, this is our detriment, at least in our society, a lot of times it's the mom and not the dad. But today we're thinking about Mary, because mother and father. So a mother and a father who prioritized. Now you could say this, oh, Pastor Mark, they were Jewish. Because of that, their children would have learned the Torah, which they would have, uh, and their boys, and their annual religious celebrations, which they'd just been at, the Passover celebration, were three annually, where they all went to, uh, to, the, to the temple and celebrated, and those were designed to teach about the things of God. The celebrations were designed to teach history and teach about God, and, and that's all good. But understand something. That was just as true for Mary as it is for any one of us. Mary had a choice. She didn't have to pack up six kids and drag them to Jerusalem. Sometimes we think it's hard to pack up two kids and bring them to church by 9 a.m. Right? She didn't have to pack up, put this in real life terms, she didn't have to pack up six kids and drag them to Jerusalem. Yes, it was expected, but many people of that day did not do it. 
She had a choice. She had to choose to have Jesus learn in the local synagogue because he knew things, so he had to have been learning. Week after week after week after week, don't you know, Mom, I got homework. You're going to synagogue. Yes, Mary made a choice. She, they chose to prioritize the spiritual formation of their children, and it's revealed in the life of Jesus. And obviously, I point this out for a reason. Because we have the exact same choice. The exact same choice. God puts the things in scriptures to give us examples, to give us an example in Mary to follow. He says, Mark and everybody, you have the same choice. And I'd say this. I'd say our choice in this regard is much more difficult. Much more difficult than where we live. We are not living in a culture developed around knowing and worshiping God. Not at all, just the opposite. We don't have a culture that stops everything so we can go three times a year to worship God for extended periods of time. What did you say to your boss next week? Oh, by the way, we're all heading over for five days to worship at the temple over there. He goes, great. Hope you find a new job. Right? We don't live in a place where one day out of seven, everything is shut down for worship and rest, the the Sabbath. We don't live in that culture. Mary did. In fact, in our culture, everything will pull you away from prioritizing your child's spiritual formation. Everything will. Everything will tell you that everything else is more important. You will be pulled to prioritize your child's academic formation. You will be pulled to prioritize your child's social formation. You will be pulled to prioritize your child's academic or athletic formation. Oh man, they got to play that sport. I like sports. But you will never be pulled. No one will pull you to prioritize your spiritual formation of your children. Except for maybe a few wild-eyed pastors who talked to you about it. And I would contend that Mary would agree that your child's spiritual formation is the most important area of formation needed in the life of your kids and your grandkids. So just like Mary chose to get Jesus to the synagogue so he could learn, and she chose to get Jesus to the religious celebrations like she had here for the Passover, And she chose to put the worship of God as most important in their home, and I believe that to be true. So we have a choice. We have to choose. What will we prioritize in our lives, and what will we prioritize in the lives of our children? And understand something, you raise your children and your grandchildren. And I believe this. I believe there's never been a time where the role of grandparenting is more important than it is right now. No culture. Because our world does not do anything to pull your kids towards Jesus. It's never been more important for the role of grandparents to come alongside parents or maybe be the only voice to help kids understand the most important thing in their lives is is learning about knowing and learning about Jesus and being formed in his his image. That's something that affects all of us because we're all part of families. And we have to choose what we prioritize in our lives. And get this, our kids... You're, you remember you know the, the story, the, the movie I thought of this. I shouldn't probably say it. A Christmas Story. It's one of my favorite Christmas movies. I have to watch it every year. I love it because I'm like that, the guy. I always live this world in my head just like him. You know, this whole other world's going on. 
And remember when Flick, they get him to stick his tongue on the pole? And then they're all sitting in the classroom, and the teacher's coming in, and she's, she's saying, oh, the shame. Oh, you know better. But Flick won't tell who did it. And it's, oh, the shame. And, and Ralphie says in his mind, Oh, kids know better. It's always better not to get caught, you know? And in his little mind, he's going, oh, they say that, but we know better. It's always better not to get caught. Guess what? Kids know better. You can say all day long you prioritize their spiritual formation, but your actions and what you do in your home and the choices you make and the things you let them do, and you say to them, I'm sorry, I love you, I'm not going to let you do that. That speaks more than you just saying, Oh, we prioritize this. Actions speak louder than words, especially in our families. Does that make sense? It will make all the difference in the world for our children as they become adults if we will learn from Mary and prioritize the spiritual lives of our, for our children and our grandchildren. Let's look at one more character quality of Mary that serves as a great example for all of us, and it's this. Mary faced suffering with grace. Mary faced suffering with grace. Contrary to some wrong theology that says that once you know Jesus, that life is just a breeze and a blessing. Some people are just great. Jesus, everything's great now. Contrary to that, we see so clearly in the life of Mary and the rest of characters in Scripture that suffering and loss are part of the plan of God for our lives. They're not part of the diversionary plan. It's not like I miss God's plan, so therefore I have suffering and loss. No, no, we're going to see in Mary, it was part of the plan, part of God's plan. Just imagine being Mary. You're 13 or 14 years old, and an angel appears to you in your bedroom. I have a picture It'll be out here for our Good Friday experience that Suzanne bought me as a gift for graduation for my master's degree. It's called the Annunciation. It's an it's a artist's idea of what it was like when that angel appeared to Mary and told her that she's going to be pregnant. So just imagine, um, you're this little girl, and this angel comes into your room, and this is what he says to you. And behold... You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. And you go, oh my goodness. My son is going to be king. My son is going to be on the throne of David. My son is going to be king. And then just eight days later, Her miracle baby, Mary and Joseph, take him to the temple, as was tradition in Judaism, to take and present him to the Lord according to Jewish tradition in the temple. And at the temple, another miracle happens. A man named Simeon, an old prophet of God, directed by the Holy Spirit, has more to say about Jesus' future. Look what it says. Look at Luke chapter 2. Just two verses, 34 and 35. Luke 2, 34. And Simeon blessed them. This is when they come and they present Jesus. His little baby, he just heard he's going to be this miracle, a son of God. So Simeon blessed, the, the, blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. A sword, prophecy from God, God's plan. A sword will pierce even your own soul. Mary's soul would be pierced. It was part of the plan of God. Suffering and pain was part of the plan of God. God knew the future. He knew that 33 years later, Jesus would be falsely convicted and he would be beaten and he would be crucified and be hung on a cross. And that Mary would be standing at the foot of the cross watching it all. His, his, his very, her very soul, a mother's heart, being pierced as she watched her son die. What we learn from Mary is that suffering and loss are part of of the plan of God. And Mary walked through those times by the grace of God himself. The same way that she had turned to God in the beginning, willingly following his plan rather than her own, at the cross she had to put her trust in her heavenly Father who had proved himself so many times in the past. Mary didn't let the suffering that she was going through pull her away from her heavenly Father like I see happen so often and it's tempted in my heart to do. Rather, suffering caused Mary to call on God for strength to endure and to believe the promises that he had given her. And friends, we need to learn this from Mary's example. It's in suffering that we need God the most. It's in hard times that we need to run to God, not away from God. It's in suffering that we stand at the foot of the cross like Mary did and we believe that his promises will be real and true and that he will do what he said he's going to do. And as we do, like Mary, we will see God come through our own version of the empty cross because Mary's story didn't end with her heart being pierced, her soul being pierced, and her son hanging on the cross. Her story went on to her son raising from the dead as a stone was rolled away and seeing her son himself rise to glory at the ascension and him becoming the eternal Lord and Savior of all humanity. The story didn't end with the pain. Pain was part of the story, but it didn't end with the pain. God took her to that, to that empty tomb and to that life of, of resurrection power. And friends, that's what God has for us in our pain. He will see us through. God's grace intervening will intervene into our circumstances and our situations. Yes, difficulty comes, but grace, the grace of God sees us through. So until we have whatever that empty tomb experience is in our life. And friends, Mary teaches us that. She lived that. Her character could stand that. And that's what we learn from Mary. That's why she's a pillar, because we can say real life says hard times come, and real life in Mary said, and I will trust the Lord, and I'll trust the promises. I'll trust what the angel said, 
And guess what? Pain happened, but the empty tomb happened. God came through and did what he promised he would do. We learn that in Mary. So we can see why Mary is a pillar upon which we stand. She reveals to us what what God's godly character really looks like. A willingness to surrender her plans to God's plan. She prioritized the spiritual formation of her family. And she faced suffering with grace. The worship team would come. We're going to close today in worship. I invite you as they're coming, would you just stand with me this morning? And as we begin to worship, I'm going to challenge you this, that you would open up your heart to the voice of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit regarding what we've been talking about. Because here's what I know. As God is adding another brick in the wall, as God is shaping us and forming us, that that work is ongoing and that today there's something from the Word of God, not from my rendition of the Word of God, but something from the Word of God that God is speaking to your heart about. I'm going to challenge you today to just invite the Holy Spirit to come and to form and to mold and to shape you, help Him to, to, to help you have your, your character be formed so that the things that Mary, we learn from Mary are things that others can learn from us as we walk through them with the grace of So, Father, as we worship you this morning, I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak loud and clear into our hearts. We've heard some stuff, but, God, now we need to hear your voice. And, Lord, we pray that, that, that our lives will continually be transformed in your presence. There's some things, Lord, that you want to work on in our hearts. There's some some things you want us to give up. There's some pain you want us to release. There's some misunderstandings you want to set straight. There's some hope that you want to give. Because some people, Lord, they're in a spot where they're at the foot of the cross right now. They're at the foot of the cross right now. And they're in the time of the heart piercing, the pain. They've heard your promises, but they're in a situation where there's pain right now and it's not going the way they thought and they can't see tomorrow because we're not supposed to. But you've given us promises for tomorrow. And I pray as we worship today that, Lord, you would so breathe fresh life into us that we would again believe the promises that you have given us for good promises for our family, promises for our kids, and that we would not lose hope. So let's worship together and allow the Spirit of the Lord just to minister to our hearts.